Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today is Ula Bumi Kashimo Frazier. How are you doing, Bumi? I said Bumi. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm blessed. Thank you for, for making time for this conversation. Um, so just let's start off by telling the audience about yourself. Who is Bumi Fraser? Well, first, I want to start by saying I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Michelle, for asking me to be on your podcast about leadership. Um, Bumi Kashimo Fraser is not someone who thinks of herself, you know, projecting as a leader. Um, but I think that um, the way in which I am is that I, I think that we, the, we, we have to be what it is that we want in, in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so I um, was promoted into a position where I became a leader very quickly. Um, and so I had to become that. Um, so um, Olubumi, I, my name is Bumi. Everyone calls me Bumi. Um, I'm from West Virginia. I was born and raised in West Virginia. I am Nigerian, Bahamian, African-American. So um, I am someone who grew up in a multi-ethnic household. My father immigrated to the United States from Nigeria in the 70s. And he met my mother, who was an African-American woman from Miami, Florida, in graduate school at Texas A&M. He was studying mechanical engineering and my mother was getting her PhD. Um, My dad got a job in Charleston, West Virginia with company called Union Carbide, which now does not exist, and is now Dow Chemical. And so my parents moved to Charleston, West Virginia, a place they'd never been in 1979. And then I was born. I'm not going to tell you when. And so (laughs) they've been here ever since. And I've been here most of the time. So um, I am a woman who um, has been exposed to a lot of different cultures from a very young age. Um, I was, you know, I, my first, I have, you know, my first passport picture is me as a baby, right? Going to Nigeria with my family with like when my mom had just gotten my ears pierced. I'm like, nice. like, you know, 10 months old. Uh-huh. And um, also I grew up in West Virginia. I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia. Um, and I have, um, I will acknowledge that I have somewhat of a privileged background. My mother, like I said, is a PhD. My father was an engineer. Um, So I attended private schools. I went to um, private elementary schools, um, St. Anthony's, Charleston Catholic. I graduated. Um, I was a prom queen. I also merit scholar, national merit, commended student, national achievement scholar. So I graduated from high school with a lot of scholarship opportunities. um, And I decided to go to the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, also known as FAMU. Woo-hoo. <laughs> I'm an HBCU graduate. Um, I went to Florida AM University. Um, it was the best four years of my life. Um, I promote HBCUs for young Black people because of what it did for me, going to private schools where I was often only the only Black girl, um, being in an environment where I was, I was able to just be myself was, you know, really, really wonderful. I also was very inspired. I went to Florida A&M at the same time as um, um, Kendi. Uh, Ibram X. Kendi? Ibram X. Kendi, yeah. He okay. um, came to FAMU in 1999. I started in 1998. I was, nice. my, um, my boyfriend, my freshman year boyfriend's roommate was Andrew Gillum, who- wow. um, ran for governor. I went to Florida a and University at a time when they were investing a lot of money in young Black people. And so I was around really inspiring people. Mm-hmm. You know, I also was raised by a mother, like I said, who was a Black woman PhD. So I came from, you know, I'm a woman who's never seen people not do what they put their mind to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I am a mother, I'm a wife, I'm married to Stuart Frazier, my husband, he does communications for the Department of Education, he also directs plays and is an actor, 
Um, and um, my daughter, her name is Naomi, she's eight. And every morning I tell her before she leaves the house and I make her say it back to me. And we've done this since she was about three years old. Um, you are black and beautiful and you can do anything you put your mind to. Because I, you know, I grew up in West Virginia, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I, it's important for me to do counter programming from the start, <laughs> okay? You can do anything you put your mind to. We start our day with that every day. So that is who I am. Um, I do a lot of stuff with the community. Obviously, I know you through um, through our community work. We met through our community work first, not through my mother. Um, and um, then we, you know, became link sisters. And so um, that that's who I am. <laughs> Wonderful. And I met your dad before I met you because we were both at okay. Carbide at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. yeah. Yeah. Many moons ago. Absolutely. <laughs> So as you hinted um, to the fact that you are, you're now in leadership, you are the Director of Magistrate Services for the state of West Virginia. So describe, and you were, you know, you were a, a prosecutor, I believe, before that. So describe your career trajectory. Yeah, so um, I graduated from law school um, from, and I went to Washington and Lee School of Law in Lexington, Virginia. Um, and it's considered like a small Ivy. Um, and so I graduated from there, but it was really difficult for me to find a job. Um, and also when I was in law school, I kind of realized that um, I wasn't really um, turned on by a lot of like the super, I mean, I, I, I really love to read and I was very much into, I mean, I'm, I've always loved to read. So that's one thing about me. Um, so that's not, that wasn't difficult for me. Um, but I, I really wasn't into a lot of the writing. Um, and so my strengths lean toward public speaking. And so I had an opportunity to intern at the district attorney's office in Philadelphia between my second and third years of law school. And I fell in love with the courtroom. So when I was looking for a job, um, I have a mentor, her name was Nancy Hill. She's now passed away. But Nancy, she recommended and she helped me get a job at the Kanawha County Prosecutor's Office. So I started prosecuting in magistrate court in Kanawha County, West Virginia, where I now live. Um, first off, um, and West Virginia has a rule so that before I even passed the bar, I was able to be practicing cases and doing things. So I got started right away. I was studying for the bar. They hired me. Um, and I moved through the prosecutor's office. I worked there for about four years. Um, in that time, I had the opportunity to um, appear before um, Judge Irene Berger. Mm -hmm. um, judge Berger is one of the, is the only black woman who has served as a federal judge in the state of West Virginia. She was a circuit court judge at the time and I was assigned to her courtroom. And she really took me under her wing. Um, judge Berger would pull me to the side and say things like, Miss Kashimo, I can see your cleavage, and that is not acceptable. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> okay, okay, right? But in, like she was serious, but even love, you know. I would think I had on the flyest outfit in the courthouse, and Judge Berger would be like, Miss Kashimo, approach, and she'd say, "Not for the courtroom." Oh my! <laughs> okay, in love though, right? In love. But you know, in love, but also even if it wasn't in love, it wasn't for that. She wanted me to be better and it was for me to get on her level, period, full stop, right? So that's, that was, that is the beginning of like my career trajectory. She gave me her phone number. I was able to call her at home when I had things going on there. And um, eventually left there. I ended up working for a year in Jackson County where Michelle, I will tell you, I was the first black county employee in Jackson County, West Virginia, as an assistant prosecuting attorney, me, in 2009. 2009, um, and you were the first black employee in the county. Wow. And I was the prosecutor. I was not a janitor. And I say that because often in state government, the positions that you see that open up for people of color are not positions of authority. And so I was able to make it there one whole year. 
<laughs> before I came back to Charleston and I entered private practice. I was in private practice at a firm called DeTrapano Barrett, Tapiro, McGinley, and Simmons at the time. I was personally mentored by Rudy DeTrapano. I was personally mentored by Tim DePiro. I was personally mentored by Lonnie Simmons. These, those three men are institutions in the legal yeah. profession. Um, I left there and, um, I, well, while I was there, I met my husband um, and I um, had a child and it was very difficult. I was on the um, CJA panel for federal cases. So I did, um, you have to apply to do federal public defender work as a, as a private mm -hmm. attorney. Okay. So I applied for that. I got the position. I represented people who were from all over the country getting federal charges. Um, my clients were, a, a large percentage of my clients were Hispanic, um, were Spanish speaking, um, and had gotten caught up in the um, Southern District of West Virginia web. Um, and I also did a lot of representation of private clients in the state of West Virginia. And I represented people throughout the state of West Virginia in all courts, municipal, magistrate, circuit, and administrative. Um, and then, you know, I had a baby and that just wasn't working anymore. Being at the jail, you know, wasn't working anymore. And so I, you know, I have a very good friend and mentor. Her name is Teresa Tarr. She said, there's a position in the office of counsel you should apply. And so I applied and the chief counsel happened to be a graduate of Washington and Lee School of Law. Oh, small world. And he also and I happened to have the same criminal law professor. He had him at the beginning of his career and I had him at the end. And so I was able to create a connection. I'm just telling you all the real stuff, right? Like right. how do you really how did you really get where you are? So I was able to create that connection with him about Professor Groot, who was an amazing, amazing person and huge inspiration to me as a criminal defense lawyer. Mm -hmm. And um I got the job. So I started working at the Office of Counsel. I was there for about four years. And then the West Virginia Supreme Court went through an unbelievable kind of change. Um, <laughs> During that scandalous time. Yes, there was a huge scandal when I was working at the court. And, um, you know, uh, two of the justices were indicted for um, um, uh, for resigned or were indicted. <laughs> um, I moved from and so a whole new group of people came in and they were kind of reorganizing things. And um, one day I'd made this delicious soup and I was sitting down to eat it. And um, the director of magistrate court services, she walked in or director of court services, she walked in and she said, um, somebody brought up your name about leading magistrate court and I'm looking for a manager, not a director, a manager. And I said, um, well, I'm actually perfect for that. And I printed out my resume and handed it to her because I had my resume. And How very assertive. You know, I'm actually perfect <laughs> for that job. And let me tell you why. So I told her why. You know, I told her I started my career in magistrate court. I know all the magistrates in Kanawha County. I know how to run magistrate. You know, I had a practice right. at a law firm where I brought in money every month doing magistrate court cases throughout the state. And so I knew how, to, I knew magistrate court. And so... Um, I got the job. I became the manager. I was the manager for about two years. And then I was thinking about my next step. And I was thinking, maybe I want to start my own firm. Maybe, you know, I'm ready to do something else. And they approached me and asked me if I wanted to be a director and magistrate court services. They actually said that they were creating a position for me. Um, so that I could step into the role of director and just take over magistrate court. And so I said, yes. And so that was in the beginning of 2021. And so I am 15, 16 months into my tenure as director of magistrate court services. I will tell you another thing. I was in, mag in magistrate court. I was working as an assistant prosecuting attorney. And um, the, the director at the time, his name was Pancho Morris. He was a, a black man from Jamaica. And um, he walked in and he, they were like, oh, that's Poncho. And Poncho is the director of magistrate court services. And I looked at him and I was like, well, I can do that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's so crazy because it's stuck in my mind. Like the first time I met Poncho, I worked with Poncho later in Jackson County. At that time, he was working as a public defender there. Now he's um, an administrative law judge. 
But I, you know, at the time, like I, that was the first time I met him. And also I had this idea in my head that like, I could do that. Right. Like I could do what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And then it was just kind of so crazy that, you know, 10 years later, somebody's approaching me saying, Hey, you want this job? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is my career trajectory. Awesome. Lots of ups and downs and action <laughs> and, you know, and, and decisions, key decisions you have to make, you had to make regarding family commitments and all that. So absolutely, absolutely. Um, what advice do you have for women who are considering becoming attor- attorneys? I think that if you want to be an attorney, then you really need to do a lot of reading and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a big reader. I, my reading comprehension was very good, but I was, and I was a good writer. Um, I did a lot of writing, but you know, I did a, I had a business degree from FAM. I started um, in the five-year business MBA program there. Um, And uh, I originally, well, actually, I really started as pre-med biochemistry. And um, I was in Florida and I spent like one Friday in a lab while everybody was partying on the set at FAMU. And I said, this will not be my life. (laughs) I switched to the five-year MBA program, okay? (laughs) Because I knew I could handle that. But then I was in it and I didn't really love it. I didn't think that I wanted an MBA. I thought if I wanted an MBA, then maybe I would want to go to an Ivy League school. Um, And so I pulled out and I decided to, um, and I was was really going to become an African-American history major. And my parents were like, absolutely not. <laughs> I can hear your mom saying that. <laughs> yeah, both of them were like, that is not the, that is not the key. So I wound up becoming um I, I wound up going to the four-year program. I became a, a business, I was a business administration major, mm-hmm. in business administration, and I got a minor in African American history. Um, so that was the compromise. Um, so I hadn't really planned on that. I was doing a lot of presentations, I was doing a lot of public speaking. Um, one thing about me when I was in high school, I did a lot of speeches, speech competitions. I went to national speech competitions. Um, and so I am, I for a, for a very long time, I have cultivated my public speaking ability. So I would say that um, if you want to be a lawyer, um, it's really important because I literally woke up one day and it was, I don't know if, because I was thinking about this, you know, when I read your questions and I don't know if, Legally Blonde came out first, Mm. or if Boomy got the idea that I should go to law school as I walked across campus one day. But (laughs) I literally was just like, I should go to law school. And so I just did it, okay? That's like another thing. If you decide you wanna go to law school, it is not an easy process. You have to just do it, okay? Mm -hmm. You have to fill out the stuff. You've got to get the recommendations. You've got to take the LSAT. You've, you've got to go visit the schools. You've got to do it. Mm-hmm. I, um, a lot of people, I've been out of school a long time now. A lot of people have approached me. Oh, I want to go to law school. I want to go to law school. Like, I, I don't want to hear the talk. What's your LSAT score? Who are you looking to? <laughs> have you talked about your recommendations? It's not helpful. You know what I mean? If you don't have a plan of action and you don't execute. And I was the first lawyer in my family. So I, if I wanted to go to law school, then I had to figure it out myself. I didn't have anybody who was going to tell me how to do it. Right. right. And so um, I think that, you know, you really have to be kind of single-minded the way that I was. Because once you get in, there's really not room for a whole lot else. Um, at least that was my experience. Um, and so a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of working on your public speaking skills, a lot of working on your interpersonal skills, mm-hmm. um, because you are either serving people or working with people. There's no way to get around it. Um, and if you want to succeed, then you, you know, if, well, especially if you're a woman, then you need to be able to figure out how to work with others. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I got. <laughs> yep. Kind of switching gears just to touch on leadership for for a little bit here. Yeah. So what what skills, attitudes, and behaviors did you have to learn or adopt to achieve success as a as an attorney? Yeah. So that's a really interesting question um, because I, um, like I said, I had always read and write, and I thought that that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I, one of my weaknesses when I was in private practice was my writing. Um, I was known as a public speaker, right? Like I was very um, accomplished at that. Um, and I was a very accomplished trial lawyer. But as far as like writing briefs and stuff, my firm didn't really trust me. So I had, you know, I had difficulty when I was in private practice because I was in a space where they felt like my strengths lied elsewhere. Me going to the court was also strategic. I'm a very strategic person. Okay, so another thing about me, I love puzzles. I'm a very strategic person. I don't make a move without really thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that like, um, you know, I knew that I had this hole in my skill set, right? And even if it wasn't real, it was perceived, right? I've gone to black girl from black school. Let's be honest, black girl from black school who speaks well. Why would we expect her to be able to write, right? There wasn't even, like, they, they never even, like, I didn't really start to get good writing assignments, right? Um, and I wasn't really pushed to it. And so um, I, you know, me going to the Supreme Court and becoming a law clerk, that's what I did as a deputy counsel. I was a law clerk. I wrote opinions. That's all I did. I wrote opinions for four years. I reviewed appeals and I wrote to the Supreme Court justices. They had to review my work. I had two people who would review anything before it was published. I have opinions that are, you know, out there in Westlaw, all over the place. I wrote memorandum decisions, so they're different, but, you know, I wrote opinions for four years, and I did not speak, you know, outside of being in counsel before the Supreme Court justices defending what I'd written, mm -hmm. and so um, that's where my speaking was a plus, right, because I'm nervous enough about the writing. At least I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, but, like, Seriously, I had to be very focused and very conscientious about building that skill, building the skill of being a writer um, and being a legal writer and being seen as a legal writer. And a legal writer is not just a regular, that's just not an ordinary storyteller. It's a whole different kind of writing, isn't it? It's a whole different kind of writing. And so it was a skill that I had to develop. Um, and so um, that is one huge skill that I had to develop. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, <laughs> we all kind of bring ourselves into all of our situations, right? So one thing that I've really had to work on is just like not adopting a victim mentality to things. Mm -hmm. As I, and that, that is, that is a skill, you know, if you are a person whose mind goes to victim, you got to get your mind out of that. I know. <laughs> oh, you're, you're not, you're not going to survive. You're not going right, to exactly. You're profession. not going to survive. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I'm talking over here. Oh no, no, that that's it. I I can tell just from listening that you won't be able to survive if if you no. don't kind of you know not make yourself that victim. And and that's the thing. I encountered a lot of people who just would look at me and assume that I you know they're going to win their case, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that I'm I don't know what's going on. Right. Um, and when I was a prosecutor, okay, so I have to talk a little bit about my my record as a prosecutor to talk about uh -huh. my trajectory because I did not lose. Okay. I won everything I took to trial except for one. Awesome. Okay. And uh, Misha Poor, you know that one. It matters to court. But other than that, I won every single case. And um, you know, that was one of the things, you know, people would come in the room and I would have to deal with all these microaggressions, right? Right, right. And then they would see me speak before a jury. And then it became, it's very easy, right? To say, well, it's just that she's charming. It's just that she's cute. It's just that she knows how to talk. She does, there's no substance behind it, really. But you don't win case after case after you lose. Case. That's right. So it's got to be some skill right there. Right. Because I'm a, I'm a, I am at heart a tactician. I'm a strategist. Mm -hmm. I'm someone who likes to do puzzles, like literally, like I take my husband to those escape game places for dates. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> we, no, we have a great time. That's okay. why we're matched, right? Because that's what I want to do. I want to work out a puzzle in my free time. Okay. That's 
Okay. And so people, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's not, I don't really tell people about that part of myself. It's not something I advertise also because it allows for me to slip under the radar. It allows for me to kind of, because that's the other thing I, I always say, tell people I carry trickster energy. People, they don't know how smart I am. They don't know my background. They don't know that all they do, all they know is what they see. Right, right. As we were talking before we got on the call about Katanji Brown, Jackson, you know, when you're a black woman in the law, you have to smile. When you're, you know what I mean, you have to be palatable. Right. You know? And so being able to balance that, because I can be very fierce. I can be, get very angry. I, I have a very strong sense of justice and right and wrong. And I enforce that. And that's a big part of why I won and why I do what I do now. Um, but, you know, being able to say that this situation happened to me, but I'm not a victim of it. You know, I, did, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about other people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When it comes to the leadership part, I learned the most about the kind of boss I do not want to be once I become a boss. <laughs> okay. There you go. That, that, that's a good transition to your leadership style. So when you think about your leadership style, how do you provide direction and how do you get plans implemented and how do you motivate people to get started? Yeah, started? so um, I'll tell you, um, the state, the, the master courts in West Virginia were not terribly thrilled to find out that there was somebody named Olubumi Kashima Frazier running them. <laughs> um, and then I came in, brand new leader, right? I'm in charge. They have given me the, the, the title of manager. Mm -hmm. I, I am tasked by the Supreme Court of Appeals to be a magistrate court expert. I find out that we are not giving out orders um, uniformly throughout the state. Like people would be found guilty and no one would give them an order. Really? That's strange. Whole order thing, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, um, yeah, y'all gonna do orders from now on. <laughs> Week one Friday, the memo went out, right? So I came in on Monday to a full-on revolt of my hands. Oh Who my. this girl thinks she is? How old is she? What's her name? Where is she from? <laughs> How long has she been? Did she even ever do magistrate court? You know, it was like all of that. So um, I found myself with like a real mess, right? Because like, I think everybody knows that I'm like sweet little Boomy who always just wants to help. And these people are feeling threatened because I am the leader and I don't see myself as that, right? Like I don't realize that my words have effect and can stress other people. Oh yes, oh yes. And so I um, am just acting. Um, and so I have learned to slow down understand that my words have impact. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I did was I started to travel. So Poncho did that when he did the job. And when I told Kitty Dooley that I was thinking about this job, she was like, you know, you're gonna have to travel. And I was like, she was like, you're gonna have to hit every county. That's what Poncho did. And they really liked him. Like, you're gonna have to do it. And I was like, okay. So I took the job and I, before COVID came, I hit 38 of the 55 counties. Mm -hmm. um, and I really spent time with them. I let them yell at me. I let them tell me why they thought I was wrong. I, you know, if there was somebody in particular, honestly, if I would get a kind of a nasty email or call one week, then they would get an email at the end of the week saying, hey, I'll be there next week to see you guys in person. Let's talk about it. Let's you know? talk about it, yeah. I invited the criticism. I invited, you know, all of that. And I took it in. I took it. You know, um, and so I think that my leadership style is one of being a servant leader. Mm -hmm. um, that's really the only thing I know is how to serve others. Right. And I try to serve my team by being, you know, remembering my position of having bosses who didn't understand when you had a small mm -hmm. child at home and they were sick, right? And I try to be understanding. Um, I, um, I try to, you know, I try to encourage and promote those who do really well. Good, good. I'm super proud of is that in state government, um, women who had not gotten you know, raises in like five, six years, I was able to get them substantial raises. 
basically describing to the court what it is that they truly did. Mm-hmm. Um, I because they deserved it, and also because I was coming into this position with all these people looking at me, I couldn't do it without them. They were the ones with institutional knowledge. You know? right. Right. And so, like I said, I'm very calculating. It's not, you know, it wasn't so much that I needed them to serve me, but like magistrate court needed them, right? Exactly. And they deserve to be recognized. Just like I'm recognized for the good work I do as the leader, mm-hmm. they deserve to be recognized too. And I, you know, that wasn't necessarily the environment. And so I recognize, you know, and, and I have people who come into my team who come from lots of different things. I tell my team, I appreciate them all the time. We talk about, and I joke about how I got the best team in the court system of West Virginia, Wonderful. you know, because they are on it, period, full stop. And let me tell you, if you're not on it, then you can't be on my team. That's good. <laughs> on it, you know? And so I set really high standards in compliance with the law, with empathy, with others, and that sort of thing. And I expect for everybody to meet my standard, period, full stop. We try to be kind. You know what I mean? Kindness is something that's super important to me because mm-hmm. I've encountered enough unkindness in my life that I know right. it can affect people. When, you know, you don't, under, you don't know what somebody is bringing to the room, right? You don't know what kind of day they had. You don't know what people said to them before they left the house, right? That's why I'm so conscientious of what I say to my daughter before she leaves the house every day. Right. That's right. You know, because you don't know how people have been fed, what they've been fed before they come into contact with you. Mm-hmm. And so I try to practice kindness. I try to not speak if what I'm going to say is going to be rude or if I'm going to find myself in a space where I'm going to be confrontational. Um, that hasn't always served me because what happens is you end up like exploding. <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. So, uh, or you end up repressing and, and, and paralyzing, but I've been learning through that. I didn't, you know, I'm a lawyer. I didn't take any leadership classes. I got a, you know, business degree, four-year business degree from a state school, you know, like I, you know, I'm, I'm learning this as I go. I bought, um, when I first started, I bought, uh, you'll think this, you'll find this interesting. I bought a uh, uh, Navy SEAL books. Navy SEAL books. Interesting. Yeah. Because I was trying to figure out like how to be a leader, you know, how do you, how do you create a culture of leaders? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? You know? Um, so yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Servant leadership. Um, so what coach, you kind of mentioned your interactions with Judge Berger uh, earlier. So what coaching, um, if any, have you received along your journey and how did it impact your career? So, um, you know, I mentioned Nancy Hill before. Um, Nancy, she had a firm, her husband, um, Brian, her husband still runs Hill Peterson, Harper B and Dietzler. Um, Nancy herself was um, one of the first women to graduate from WVU School of mm-hmm. Law. Um, she graduated seventh in her class. She was super smart. Wow. I couldn't get a job. She told me her first job was making $7,000 working for the county. Okay. Incredible. 70s girl. Okay. And so um, she really, you know, I, she was good friends with my mother and she knew I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't have any lawyers in my family. So she took me under her wing. And she would take me to lunch, I mean, to dinner every Tuesday night um, from about 2005 to about 2009. Wow. Every Tuesday night, we would go to Tidewater and we would talk um, about the law, about life, about God, like about lots of different things. Mm -hmm. And um, that was huge. She put a huge investment into me. Awesome. Um, and into, you know, cultivating me and talking to me about what was happening during the week at work. And, you know, ha- you know, she was one of the first ones who was like really big on like getting out of the victim mentality. Like, you ain't no victim, girl. You really the shark. They don't know. <laughs> you right, know? right. <laughs> like, you know, if as long as if you can realize that, you know what I mean? Realize who you are in the room, you know? And so she was, she was really big. And then um, after I had my daughter, I felt very at sea. Um, I felt like I had pretty much accomplished everything I had kind of set out to accomplish in my life. And I was like, what's next? You know, I got a career, I got a husband, I got a kid, but I didn't really feel happy. I didn't really feel fulfilled. I was actually miserable. 
And so um, I like, you know, I decided to do this thing um, where I started to do something new every, every week. Um, I was turning 30. Okay. And I decided, I was like, oh no, it's turning 35. Just a baby. You're still just a baby. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was like, okay, life's got to, there's got to be more to life than this. Right. So I was like, I'm going to do something new every week. I'm going to inject newness into my life. And that's something that like is really big about me. Like I'm big on self-improvement. I'm big on new experiences. I'm big on expanding my horizons. And so I, um, you know, I, I started doing new things. The one thing I decided to do was like a hot yoga class. That's what I was going to ask you is that when yoga came into your life. Yeah. So I, that's where yoga started. I walked into the hot yoga class with Sarah Golden and the girls started the song, the class by singing. And it was like, my soul was brought home. Mm -hmm. It really was the beginning of a huge change for me and how I present myself in the world, who I am, how I be, because I talk a lot about being, um, and it's been an amazing journey. I fell so in love with yoga that within a year of starting to practice, I entered yoga teacher training. I became a yoga teacher, 200 hours certified. I started teaching classes, you know, in Charleston. I could barely touch my toes. And I was teaching yoga. That's how much I in the healing properties of it because, you know, for a long time, I felt like I was doing a lot of work um to prove myself and you know with yoga philosophy we have value just as we are Mm -hmm. and if we can just tap into our own essence of what makes Bumi special what makes Michelle special right right you just act out of that then we make a difference you know and you make a difference you don't have to be trying to please everyone and running you know having yourself all over the place and it just has been a thing. So it's been a journey for me. I've been a yogi for seven years. Um, I have studied with lots of different teachers. It's, it's led me to, to other things. I study with shamans. Um, I study with energy healers. Um, I do a lot of kind of weird out there stuff um, because it, it, it fuels me. It makes me a better boomy. Um, it help, allows me to show up more as myself, which allows me to be a better leader. It allows me to be present. It allows me to care, right? So mm-hmm. much. Yes, yes, yes. So just some, you know, I've been doing this, asking folks for their keys to effective leadership. What are yours? Based on your experience, what are some keys to effective leadership? Okay, so like you can't be a leader without a team. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. You cannot be a leader without a team. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, my number one job is to make sure that my team is 100% doing their best at all times. That means they need to be doing their best in their personal lives too. Okay. They yes. need to be whole full people doing well. Um, COVID was a huge challenge, right? In trying to help people because we've all had you know, literal physical and mental health issues that we've had to deal with. And so being understanding and really being there, um, I have, when I started in my division, let me talk about my team and what I came into. So I came into a division of five who were supporting the entire state um, of West Virginia. Mm. Austin. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's for, for 55 counties, five for 55 uh, counties, 40, over 400 like employees. Yeah. Yes. We enact new legislation. We provide legal and financial and administrative support. Um, and I have built my team by 100% by being able to identify and um, isolate the need by creating new positions, by, you know, creating a team that involves I have testers now for our computer system, so dedicated testers, people that that's what they do. I have trainers, I have financial support clerks, mm-hmm. I have paralegals, I have, you know, I have a full team now. So no one is so exhausted wow. and no one feels like they can't take vacation, right? Mm-hmm. And no one feels like they can't have a life because they're doing their work. They have to work and work and work, yeah. Right, and we don't, we don't live to work. 
And I believe that even as a leader, you know, I, I truly believe that we live in order to help and inspire others. And so we have to be able to be at ourselves to do that. Mm-hmm. Self-care is a huge part of that. I'm a big person on self-care. Absolutely. I'm on self-care for my team, right? So self-care doesn't stop at me. Mm-hmm. I, yo, why haven't you taken a day off? Get, get your rest. Get Why your rest. Stop, I totally believe in you know. Totally believe in that as well. Absolutely. Yes, you know we are given time by the state. It's generous. Take it. Take your time off. It's Absolutely. there to take. You know. Um. I think. And, and honestly, it sets you apart as a leader. Mm-hmm. Do little things like that in today's environment, and especially in West Virginia. Maybe in other places, you know, but what I am doing in my office is groundbreaking, okay? What I do and the way in which I encourage my team, it's like next level because my team knows that they can take the time, but they also show up in a way. That's right. right. Out, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it allows me to have that trust. And so when you trust your team, when you have people who are competent at what they do around you, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to micromanage. You You don't. don't. You get to live in joy. They get to live in joy and we get to attack the problem. You know, remember I had an issue with an employee one time and my mom was talking to me about this idea of negative work. You, You Negative work is when you are spending time dealing with things that don't solve the actual problems of the goal of the organization. Mm. You know, worried about your people. I, one of the things that I strive to do, and I'm big on process, well, my dad is an engineer, right? Yes. So I'm big on process improvement, right? <laughs> I am big on it, right? He, my dad is like, six sigma, you know, how can we make this better? He's always like that. So it's like always been in my head. So I'm always, how can we make this better? How can we make more money? How can we be more efficient? How can we, you know, make this work better for people? Mm-hmm. The answer was to bring more people on board, was to actually properly staff the team, right? Once the team is properly staffed, we're up and running, right? Like we are, we're going, it's time to go. Um, And so, you know, I think that that's a big thing. I also listen to my team. My team tells me I'm wrong. You know, my team will say, well, I'll say, they'll say, well, this is the problem. And I'll say, well, I think da 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 And they'll say, well, actually, da 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 And I'll say, you know what, you are dead right. Okay. And it's good, and it's good that you have that relationship where they're comfortable telling you when Well, yeah. but you have to cultivate that. You have to, absolutely. Have that to is not that. something that happens overnight. It did not happen overnight. I had to tell them in the beginning, if I send something out and there's a typo on it, that's on y'all because I sent it to y'all first. So if you're not telling me, okay. That's right. <laughs> Take the L, it's but I'm also going to be turning around looking at you like, why you got me looking crazy? What we don't do over here is look crazy. What we do is do it right. That means you check me too, right? That's right. That's we do good. our stuff right. And But it took a year, two years, three years, right? right. Encouraging that, but also being humble. So when they speak up and they say you're wrong, you can't get proud, you know? Right go into your feelings and be like but I said xyz it's like nah girl thank you for making sure thank that we you want- I'm glad you caught that thank you right I'm glad that you caught that exactly <laughs> this is important we are not you know and I have this I have this saying that I say with them what we are not going to do is have my slut showing okay right. <laughs> you guys no are very no southern no one thing, right? you, you have to come up with another saying right what's that <laughs> I said, no one wears slips anymore. So you'll have to come up with another saying. (laughs) But like, you know, Michelle, my mama tries to get me to wear a slip to everything. Oh my. I don't even (laughs) (laughs) And here's the other thing. Let's talk about challenges. So here's the other thing. Um, my, My metaphors hit, right? Because I am a young person who often supervises people who are older than me at this point. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that for a lot of my career. I've had to step in and I have an assistant who is old enough to be my mother, right? And you know, when they went to secretarial school, what they didn't imagine was they were gonna be working for an Olubumi Kishimo Frazier and her fly outfits, okay? That was imagined. That that took some adjusting, I'm sure. Of course, it, it has always, in every place, it always takes time. 
but you can build your credibility through just like being honest, right? Being transparent, being your authentic self, absolutely. And that's what I try to do. And I try to show up as that every day. And even when I travel to like those 38 counties, they got authentic boomy, you know, which means like, yo, if I don't agree with you, then we're going to go back and forth across this, just like we did when I was in Charleston. I'm the same girl. I'm going to fight you here. I would fight you there, you know? And so that they know that like, this is real. And um, it's taken a while, but I think that, you know, (laughs) you know, it's three steps forward, two steps back, state government, my my officials are elected. And there's, (laughs) you know, but we do the best that we can, you know? And so um, that that's what I'm putting forward. So that's kind of like that's that's how it that's how it goes over here. It's very hippie. Absolutely, that's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. With your education and experience, you could live anywhere. What keeps you in West Virginia? Um, so that's like a really interesting question because I think that for a long time I felt like I needed to get out of West Virginia. A lot of people say that, but it's like I you know I always wonder. You know, we all we we're all you know, we remain here. So what, what is your, yeah, yeah. I felt like that for a long time, but like, particularly over the last several years, um, you know, I was able to kind of fulfill everything I wanted to fulfill here in West Virginia. I was able to fall in love. I was able to start a family. I was able to buy a home. I was able to, you know what I mean? Do the things that I've kind of wanted to do. Um, I was able to join the clubs I wanted to join. Right. And like, um, and also like I have land, like, you know, you have family in New York. Like, I'll just like do this dig. I got family in New York. They they don't have land, you know. And it's so much more. It's so much more difficult, right? To, it is so much more difficult, yeah. right? And so, like, we make a fraction of what they make in the city, mm-hmm. but have you know we have the ability to like own a house with a double plot and you know I'm able to grow my roses in the summer and I have a goldfish pond and I have deer that walk through my yard and I like literally know the schools of deer that live in my neighborhood like and they know me like they leave their babies their fawns in my yard and around my house and I won't leave like if a if a if a deer has left her baby or her fawn around my house like I stay and guard that baby until she comes (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know and so it's one of those things where and then also my family's here so I've been able to have an additional 17 years of living in the same town as my mom and dad you know for better or worse, right mm-hmm. um, I I have I know that I have lived my life with my parents and so you know I'm, I'm very much a daughter in that way right mm-hmm. um, it's not it's not it's not personal people who choose to leave but like for me you know, it's, it's, it's something that has been very fulfilling and enriching in my life, right? Um, it's helpful for me now that I have a small child to have my parents in town. Um, for support, absolutely. Dad, pick up my daughter, like, all the time, right? Like, you know, they don't necessarily keep her in the evenings, because, like, Naomi, like, she really likes to be at home with mommy and daddy. Right. But <laughs> we do, you know, but I do have that support. I've got lots and lots of support, you know? Awesome. So it, it really, it really helps. And so I don't have FOMO anymore. Like I don't have fear of missing out. You know, I don't feel that way because honestly, and also here's like the other thing. So like one of the big things about living in Charleston was like the clothes, right? Like the shopping is awful here. But because of the internet, <laughs> because of the internet, you can get LA, anything right? where you can get anywhere. your square footage and you can get your dream wardrobe. There you go. <laughs> you can do it all right here in the mountains, right? There you go. That's you can take right. that away and you can travel for experiences. You can travel if you want to see a Broadway show. You can, you know, do that sort Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely. Or special. But I don't. You know, I don't, you know, I've thought about moving to New York several times. I don't like the idea of having a two-hour commute. I don't like the idea of having a pace of life where I don't have land, where I can't grill out, where I can't, you know, lay out in my bathing suit on the weekends, right? In my own land, minding my own business, (laughs) you know? So, and I think that, like, a lot of people move here and they find the benefits. There are plenty of people who move here from other places and they stay and they raise their children here. And so um, I think that like you're one person, right? Who has moved here and found benefit in living here. It's been- And I've, I've been here now longer than I've been anywhere else. It's kind of- Right. Like and, and so it's like one of those things. Now, I, I do say that the mountains suck you in. They're kind of a cage. <laughs> things, they're a cage. 
you know, can also be kind of limiting. But for those of us who have vision beyond the mountains, then the mountains are just a protective kind of bowl that we live in. Absolutely. When, when we want a wonderful know, community, we have community. We have community in a way that people don't have in other places. You know, you're able to know people. People, I go into meetings and I meet people who have known me since I was in high school, right? Oh, uh, and, you know, and it's like, that is community. Like, cause I'm still the same boomy. Like Miss Sullivan, I ran into her and she was like, you look the same. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true so true so as we wind down what's next what's next for you well um okay I'll just start with Magis Report I'm super excited about an initiative that we're starting called the Substance Use Disorder Initiative mm-hmm. um, this initiative is aimed at really trying to address the opioid epidemic and the um, overdose epidemic and the death epidemic in West Virginia by using those who come into contact by magister for, through magister court and referring them to medication-assisted treatment, doctor-assisted treatment for um, evidence-based healing therapy um, and really using our space as a magister court as a more rehabilitative space and a community space rather than a punitive space. So I'm getting started with that. Um, I'll be introducing that in April um, at the Magistrate Court Conference. I've created a stakeholders committee with people statewide. And I'm also working with um, John Unger, who's now Magistrate Unger, formerly Senator Unger. Um, We're going to be working to create a pilot family treatment court in Berkeley County, um, West Virginia, in Martinsburg. And I am a magistrate court treatment court, um, doing DUI and drug things, and also writing a bill that will establish magistrate treatment courts throughout the state. So that's kind of like my short term. That sounds huge and very progressive. Yeah. Well, that's 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 where we are, right? So that's awesome. That's, um, that's what I'm working on short term. Long term, entrepreneurship is 100% in my future. Um, it's something that's been a goal of mine and something that I've been like, really excited about um, for a while. For a long time in my career, I always thought I'd work for other people. But once I had a daughter, I realized you can't build wealth um, <laughs> by working for other people. <laughs> so um, I, um, I, I really am interested in being an entrepreneur um, and really kind of just continuing to grow, you know, personally, spiritually, and really figuring out how Boomi can serve others. Like, in this incarnation, um, at the least amount of stress to myself. That's, that's <laughs> it. That I like that part. With you know, with the least amount. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you all the best. Thank you so Thank much you. for 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 joining me on Fostering Solutions, and um, I wish you all the best with the with your future endeavors. I see greatness greatness all over you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for inviting (laughs) me. And I do have one last thing to say. Loka Samasta Sukhino Bhavantu, which is Sanskrit for may all beings everywhere be happy and free. And may my thoughts, words, and actions contribute to that happiness, Um, which is one of my mantras that I repeat to myself every day. So um, may everyone be, be blessed. Wonderful. All righty. Take care. Thanks, Michelle. We'll talk to you. All right. Bye. Thank you.